This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Alex here, and you're listening to another episode of the Market Adventures podcast. We have a great guest today. Martin Ibange was able to walk away from working at the age of 35. That's 30 years before the average person in America. He's traveled the world and now lives in Bali, Indonesia. After being denied a job in France for being a black man, Martin was driven to take full control of his life. Today, he tells his story and how we can go about taking control of our own lives. There's two parts to this interview. You're listening to part one. Stay tuned. Thank you for having me. So my, my name is Martin Ebonge, and um, I'm, I'm from France originally, uh, but I left France eight years ago because I decided to retire at age 35, uh, go around the planet and uh, basically re- you know, kind of like retire in the tropical island. So uh, right now I'm in uh, Bali in Indonesia uh, and I've been here for the last five years uh, and I specialize in uh, online businesses and, and uh, mainly businesses that are designed to run uh, completely without me. That basically gives me uh, the time and the freedom to kind of like enjoy life. So you know, I'm uh, a guy who, who likes to enjoy life. That's that's uh, pretty much who I am. <laughs> uh, the fact that, well, how do you how do you feel being able to, to to walk away at 35? People work double that and still are you know bagging groceries at Walmart or greeting people. Like they still have to work. You were able to walk away at 35. How's that feel? Yeah, it's uh, look, it's. Um... Uh, for me, was it was an achievement. Uh, it, it also it's just a burning desire that I've always had um, to kind of like to be free to have a choice. Um, and very very early in my life, I was looking for ways to be able to do this. Uh, there was one catalyst, something that changed my basically my my perspective on everything was a book called the, the Four Hour Work Week. Uh, that a friend of mine gave me because he thought that, well, that book is all about what you want to do. And after reading the book, um, I realized that there was a whole world out there that I didn't know was right in front of me. I didn't know it was there. But now I knew it was there. I just had to figure out how to get there, you know. So after reading the book, I said, hey, you know what? I'm giving myself four years. And then in four years, I want the same life as what this guy is describing in the book. And uh, I was able to do it in three you know, by, you know, hard, hard work. And, you know, in the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. But, you know, after a while, after three years, then I was able to, uh, to actually, you know, retire. And I did it on the first um, uh, of May, which in France is Labor Day. So I booked a ticket to run the World Tour <laughs> tickets, which was a symbol for me. It was like, see you guys. And then I got on the plane and, uh, and yeah, so 
it is, um, you know, when I'm saying retired, it means that I don't have to work for anyone. And it's not like I actually have to work operationally and stuff. I build stuff that basically, you know, uh, generates income for, for me. So I'm semi-retired because, I, yeah, I keep working on stuff because I just love it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you can't really take that. You can't take – if you really love what you did, you really don't retire. You just do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's, uh, it's me. My, my take is I just want to have the choice in the morning when I wake up to do whatever it is that I want to do. And in most cases, it's sitting at my desk and, and creating new stuff, you know, new businesses and, and looking at, you know, what other people are doing, some angles like, oh, this is smart and, and looking into that. You know, so I love what I'm doing. So it never actually feels at work and I don't have to do it, which, you know, that's the, the beauty of, uh, about it. You describe a life where you wake up and you don't really have to do what you don't want to do. But you, on your website, you talked about basketball. You wanted to go to the NBA at first. Now, that is completely contrast, right? The NBA, you got to get up and you got you to gotta train. You got you to gotta get ready for the next game. Yeah. And this is the complete opposite of, of that. So did the basketball time in your life inspire anything that you're doing now? Or was it kind of like that was a phase that for I work with was the real me? Um, it, it, there's, actually a, there's actually a link between – uh, between what I was doing basketball-wise and, and what I'm doing now is, um, I um, I was uh, I was into basketball like it was my whole life. Uh, I was known for like my basketball skills. I used to have a lot of ups and won a lot of like slam dunk contests and stuff. And um, uh, so when I was 17, I I went for trials for uh, professional teams in Italy. Uh, there was a team that wanted to draft me because I actually I grew up in Italy. I grew up in a lot of countries, but I grew up in Italy. So, um, so my brother was still in Italy, and uh, so I was 17. And they were like, "Oh yeah, we want you in the team and stuff." So, me, my take was, look, a professional career it doesn't last that long. So I want to go a little bit to university, uh, get a two-year degree because in France we do have a two-year degree, which you know basically once you're like I don't know 29 or something, you're a veteran, and you know. When you're 30, it's not it's not that old to you know uh, to now start looking for a job, right? So anyway, I um, came back to uh, to the team maybe like two years later. They told me I was too old or something like this. Um, and well, I, I kept playing basketball uh, for um, just for sports because I loved it. So now um, I was living in London um, in I, I, that was 2005. And I went to play a pickup game. And uh, so I jumped, dunked the ball. Some guy pushed me in the back. So I landed awkwardly. And then he landed on me. So basically, I, my, my leg snapped, like tibia, fibula broken. So from there, I ended up in a wheelchair for uh, four months. And then I was on crutches for a year and a half because the doctors, they kind of like messed up my leg. They, they didn't realign the bones properly or something, and, and it was getting worse all the time. So uh, me was playing basketball every day. For four years, I couldn't run. I couldn't physically run. So uh, anyway, um, uh, at some point, I was working in the U.S., and I found a 24-hour fitness. And what I used to do was, uh, because the doctors told me, look, you'll never be able to play basketball again in your life. Just collect stamps and, you know, buy a blowpipe or something, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to play basketball. So when everybody was sleeping, I used to go to the 24-hour fitness and I was trying to just learn, relearn everything. 
uh, because my balance, I lost my balance. I lost everything. So I had to go, you know, one step, shoot, you know, painful dribbles, blah, blah, blah. And basically I've done that for five years. I've done drills every single day, 500 shots, you know, one step, two steps to basically relearn everything from scratch. And um, that experience actually, uh, you know, gave me the resilience to actually go and do all the micro steps because uh, the, the thing with, with, the, with that kind of process is that for a long time, it seems like what you're doing doesn't make any difference whatsoever until one day it starts clicking, right? And I had to go through that period, the period where I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. You know, everybody has to help you for stuff. And uh, yeah, so, you know, now because of this, you know, five years of going every single day, do my drills and, and stuff, it, it, these are skills that I've now applied to uh, my life right now to the entrepreneurship uh, world. And that's also what helped me get to where I am now because I was just doing the, you know, the micro little steps that nobody wants to do because it's boring and it sucks. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, the devil is in the details that the consistency actually helped me. Yeah. Wow. So, so being, having that uh, athletic uh, drive, but also the, the awareness to know that every small step mattered, right? Yeah. So now when you're building your businesses, from the outside in, people are like, holy crap, he gets to travel the world wherever he wants. He retired at 35. He gets to do this and that. Mm -hmm. But they missed when you were just getting out of the wheelchair and trying to take one step. Yeah. Right? They didn't see that part. Yeah, yeah. It was literally that because, you know, um, like a good, just imagine you're, you're playing basketball every day. I was playing maybe two, three hours. And for four years, I cannot run, you know. And yeah. all my identity was basketball. So basically, everything was stripped away from me. I had to build something else. And, you know, as much as it sucks, you know, these things, obviously, you don't want to go and break your leg and so or something. But that experience, I'm, you know, somehow kind of glad that it, that it happened because it, you know, it, it helped me become more resilient and, and get a, you know, a, a thicker skin and just yeah. know that, you know, with uh, constant effort, it, it, the compounding effect will basically uh, get you the results at some point. And then when it comes, it just booms, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, every, I think everybody who has success in life has one moment where they had two choices. I mean, a lot of the people who broke their leg probably w may have taken the other road, right? Which was to give up. Mm. But you decided to go the the alternative, right? Right, the, yeah. the road less traveled, and it, it brought you here. Yeah. Um. So take me through. So after you broke your leg, right? You're in your your, your, your late teens or early twenties, right? Uh, 2005. I was 26. So you were in your you were in your late twenties. Yeah. Take me. Uh, take me where you went from there, right? How did you get your your first from your first job to mm -hmm. to where you are now? All right. So my first, I will say my, um, there is one that I call my first real job. Um, back in the days, that's, that's how I, I called it. But now that I have more experience, I realize that every single job that I had before, depending on how you see it, um, is a learning experience. So um, I, um, I, I've studied um, languages. So languages and international trade. And then I, I, I had a postmaster's degree in international negotiation. So, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's like a five-year degree, you know. And after university, I was just looking for jobs. But, yeah, nobody wanted to hire me. So, 
you know, for like a good year and a half, I couldn't find anything. Uh, and I basically had to, uh, you know, find a, a job to pay the bills because I didn't want to go uh, back to my parents because that's the easy solution. Yeah, you just go back to the parents and stuff. Me, I was like, look, I found a job. It wasn't paying that much. The base salary wasn't paying that much. It wasn't something I like to do. But I figured that yeah. if I became good at it, then I could make some commissions that will help me furnish the place and stuff. So I ended up working for um, like a cable company. I was calling people, uh, you know, while they're eating and like, hey, do you want cable, dude? And they're like, no, you know, and hang up on you and stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, you know, I became quite good at it. I, I was making a lot of commissions and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, it's not necessarily what I, what I wanted to do. But at the time, I still made the effort uh, to try to become good at it, understand the mechanics and, you know, uh, make a, um, gee, uh, like good out of a bad situation or something. I don't know what the expression is. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, uh, at some point I, I was looking for um, for work in, in France. And, you know, there, there are some like, uh, you know, issues in, in, uh, in France, which basically um, the w one thing that, that changed everything for me was uh, there was this um, uh, uh, temp agency. Um, and I had one of my friends who studied the same thing as me and, um, she came back from Mexico because she married a Mexican guy, but they divorced or something. So when she came back, I was still looking for a job and she was looking for a job as well. So when she found a, um, you know, uh, an ad for a job or if I did, we'll share it. So she tells me that there's this agency, she passed it in the morning and uh, they said, yeah, there, there was a, an offer to be a, in the purchasing department, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and she was able to give her CV without having to sign up and blah, blah, blah. They were like, yeah, it's just been posted, you know, uh, awesome, very good. So she calls me and she said, hey, you should ring them and you should go and stop and leave your CV. So I ring them and obviously on the phone, they have no idea what I'm looking, you know, how I look, right? And, you know, I speak French, you know, I speak French, you don't know what I look like. So they're like, yeah, 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 you can come, but it's not lunchtime. Just come at, at two and then, you know, we'll take your CV and everything. So I get there and, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm coming for the, the purchasing uh, department thing. Oh, no, no, uh, it's been fulfilled three months ago, sir. I don't know who told you that. And I said, yeah, look, I called a few, you know, an hour ago. It, it was fine. And oh, no, no, I don't know who said. So they find the oh, scapegoat boy. in the office like, oh, <laughs> Micheline, it's you. So someone's like, oh, yeah, sorry, it was me. Blah, blah. So anyway. Uh, so I said, maybe I can give you my CV. And if any, no, 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 we don't take CVs like this. So at that yeah. point, I said, hey, you know what? I am going to send CVs in, uh, in England because my sister always told me, look, in England, they don't care what you look like. Uh, if, you can, if you can bring something to the company, um, they will see it. They will hire you. Sent the CV. Two hours later, company called me saying, hey, we like your, your profile. Uh, why don't we fly you to, uh, to the UK? You have an interview and stuff. So. I went there. No. Um, they loved me. That's great. That's yeah. great. That's great. Um, and uh, so they were advertising two positions. So one was an engineer in anti-spam, which I didn't know anything about. And one was the lowest level possible in the company, which was call handling uh, to take calls from, uh, from Germany, France, and Italy, which are languages that I speak fluently. So I, I opted for that one because on the other one, I, I might have been in, uh, in competition with some dude who had like long degrees in, in you know, technical stuff that I didn't have, right? So from there, um, I had a lot of time on my hands when people were not calling because my, call, my job was they call, I log whatever their problem is, and I send it to the engineers. 
So while I didn't have any calls, I was just looking at the manual of how our system worked, just to understand what it did. And I was sometimes sitting with the engineers and asking them, okay, what is it that you're doing? Um, so they were, you know, really nice. It was a really nice team. So they were like, yeah, I'm doing this because X, Y, Z, you know. So after three months, I asked my, uh, my manager at the time, I said, hey, look, is there any chance that I can shadow these guys at some point, maybe a few hours a day? And he said, yeah, we're going to hire a temp who's going to come every afternoon. And so every afternoon you can go and sit with the engineers. So I did that for another three months. And then after three months, I said, hey, look, I think I'm ready to do the, the, the work. Can I, you know, can I move up? So, you know, he agreed and I made it to engineer without, you know, having the, the qualifications and stuff. It's just by learning and just asking questions and stuff, you know. Um, yeah. And from there, uh, there, were, there were another two levels above that, that role that I had. And after that, you had to make a choice. So either you, you became a developer or you became an operations, you know, engineer. So basically, they're looking at a screen that looks like the matrix, you know, and they're just like yeah. this. The, you know, the, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Uh, what I want to do is I want to be um, to reach a certain technical level that will allow me to talk to techies. And it doesn't sound like ancient Greek. But at that point, yeah. I want to try and move to management. So um, I made my way there. And uh, I got an opportunity to go and build a team in Australia, in Sydney, uh, because my, my boss, um, she, was, she was really awesome because she, she asked me what I wanted to do in life and not necessarily in this company there, right? And, okay. and she was like, yeah, that will help you for what you want to do. So I, I, I went to Australia, built the team, and that gave me my kind of like my management uh, experience. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, long story, you know, sorry, long story. But from no, there, because I was stopping spam, uh, spam like emails, um, the people were sending the emails. They contacted me saying, hey, dude, come on our side because you know how they're stopped so you can go around the filters. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I ended up in the marketing. So I started working for huge companies. So it was an Alliance Data com uh, company. So, you know, my clients were uh, Pro uh, Procter & Gamble and uh, Skype, Pepsi-Cola, uh, you know, like huge, huge, huge companies like this. Um, and from there, uh, I realized that the, you know, I didn't know much about marketing before. I thought it was just like spam and stuff. And, uh, and from there, I just learned the, the, the ropes and looked at the market and identified. One day I identified uh, a big opportunity in the market and, uh, and I decided to seize it with a buddy of mine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was that? What was the opportunity? And I think this is, this is what you're getting into about the, the emails thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's I, I, okay. So tell me about, cause I found that, I found that super interesting. I think it's going to blow a lot of people away. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so basically what my company was, was doing is we had huge email servers. Um, basically, you know, Coca-Cola or something, their job is to produce beverages. They're not here to send emails. So they pay us to have the infrastructure to send the emails for them. And so me, I was in contact with those, those really big clients, but also uh, like, you know, the people who manage Hotmail and, and Gmail and Yahoo and all that kind of stuff. So I had um, I, I kind of like a, a, a comprehensive view of the, of the market. And I looked at the French market and uh, amongst our clients, I realized that there were people who had like, you, you know, small databases, you know, small re relatively to, you know, the size of like a Coca-Cola, who were very well segmented, 
And we, we did have other clients who, they had big databases, but they probably bought it behind the dumpster or something, you know, at, at midnight, you know, and they were dirty and stuff. So uh, me, I said, hey, you know what? How can I create a huge database that will be super qualified and that will be basically mine gold? I need to figure out a way to do this. So I mapped out something and, uh, and I, uh, I contacted one of, my, one of my buddies. We used to work uh, in, in two different companies together because it's, it's like a small world. And uh, so basically what we did was we, um, we had a, a bunch of partners, like maybe 15 or 16 different partners who had huge email databases and you know, they were sending up millions of emails every day, right? So I went to them because um, I had a good relationship with them because I saved their asses a lot of times and, and they kind of liked what <laughs> I was doing. And I said, look, uh, we're going to create a database uh, and we're going to uh, create a bridge between that database and your servers. So every time you send emails, all the stats are going to come back to our database so we can build profiles of people. And then, uh, you know, what's in for them? So they're like, yeah, but what's in for me? And so I said, look, once we have those profiles of people, there are people who are interested uh, in, in better qualifying their own database. So uh, these were big companies uh, who created like a uh, you know, giveaway like two years ago. And they had like two million people in there, but you don't know you know, which email address is good and what these people like. They came for a giveaway. You don't know exactly what to do with them. So what they will do is they will encrypt that database in a format called MD5. So it's an encryption. And they will give us the, um, the, the file. And basically what we do is, because we have all that data, we will take their, their, their email and then we will match it against ours. So for example, if your email address was in their list, and it's in our list, then we can tell them, hey, okay, so we know this guy and we've seen him click 200 times on uh, Nike shoes and once on, I don't know, bikes or something. So the best thing you, you, you should do is you send them some stuff about Nike and he's going to buy, right? Uh... And so we had a lot of clients who were paying us to qualify their data. So we were identifying, uh, you know, who, were act we, uh, who was active uh, how long ago they were active, who didn't exist anymore. The email address is, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, it just bounces now. Uh, who's complaining a lot uh, and stuff like that. And then sending that back to them. And they just made an insane amount of money uh, out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what Facebook does, right? With their, yeah. with their little tracking software. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Facebook, they, they have data on you. And then when, when people buy ads it's the same thing it, you you just dig in their data and they tell you okay this person likes this they like that so we were doing the same thing it wasn't you know facebook level but yeah it was pretty good you know um no, yeah yeah but to say even if you're not facebook you're you are one i mean you're not one man but you're not you're certainly not facebook mm -hmm. but you were able to, to to capitalize on data at such a an early time because 2000 or 2008 Right, two thousand. Uh, this one was two thousand twelve. I think we started this thing two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Yeah. I mean that that's almost what eight eight years. That's nine years ago. Yeah, now, yeah. Right. Yeah. That is for you to see the opportunity as an individual, right, and make so much money from these billion dollar corporations. They're paying uh -huh. you, the little guy, yeah, to yeah. do what Facebook was doing, uh -huh. right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, no, it was it was pretty good, right? Um, and it was it was very interesting. I, I really liked the process of um, of uh, 
playing with the data because you know you heard about big data, right? So um, big data is just today. There's so many touch points. You have I don't know your phone. You go to a store. You have a membership card. There is offline, online data, and you know Facebook, for example, they might have a thousand data points on you. So having the data is not the the end of it. You need to figure out which data is um, is um, makes sense to use, which one's relevant, which one's not relevant. So we had to figure out as well, uh, you know, on our level, okay, which one of the data points that we have is relevant and that people would be interested in. So it was a lot of testing and stuff. It was pretty it was pretty interesting. Hey, I hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with Martin. Make sure you're here for part two, where Martin tells us how he got into a room with billionaire company Coca-Cola. I'll see you tomorrow.